Welcome to Box Out Banter. Chris Okamura, Jordan Christmas. Let's get right into it, Jordan. This has been an insane week. The Probably the most crazy week in recent NBA in terms of just how much happened. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, actually record an episode of Box Out Banter and not have crazy shit happen, like literally 20 minutes after we're done recording. <laughs> yeah, before we get into anything that happened this week, right after we finished recording, Drew Holiday gets traded, then Bogdan goes to the Bucks in a sign and trade, but it, doesn't. But doesn't happen, and then now he might go to the Hawks. It's all weird and strange, but uh, let's start with, because really, I think the draft and free agency kind of go hand in hand. We could talk about it separately later, but they do go hand in hand in terms of what moves teams are looking to make and right. things of that nature. So I just, what was the thing that stuck out to you on draft night? Because that's when all the action started, really. Picks were flying. Contracts were getting offloaded. Your team and my team might have <laughs> two of the best executives in basketball right now. Um, yeah. And, and it's just watching all these moves fly and then seeing the cramped market. And now that the dust is settled, I'm just wondering, what are you, what were your first initial thoughts of free agency before we get into more team specific things? Free agency or the draft? Let's start off with, so let's start the draft. Cause let's that was start first. With the draft. Yeah. So I really like amazingly. I love what the Hornets and the Kings did. Same. Same. I was gonna. I wanted to talk about the Hornets and the Kings. Actually, shout out to the Kings. I, I live in Sacramento. Watched a lot of terrible Kings basketball over the years, uh, but mainly staying up here in Northern California. And I'm finally glad. Like the Kings, based on Kings Twitter and Kings media that I follow, Kings media that I have met going to going to a few games this year before human before humans were not allowed in stadiums anymore. It's just it was this sense of dread. Buddy Heald was is has been discontent. Vlade Divac has been terrible, and they've wanted him gone forever. And draft night was kind of the first night where Kings fans enjoyed themselves. They right. They Tyrese Halliburton fell, I think, way too far. I I could have swore he was going to go top ten. And I like could have sworn he was going to go to. Fe- I thought he was going to go to Phoenix. I was like, this is a perfect guy to put next to Devin Booker I mean anytime you get a guard with size that could pass and shoot even though his shot is wonky as hell he that's the perfect skill set to put next to Booker but then Halliburton falls to the Kings and he wants to go to the Kings he wants to play with De'Aaron Fox and with with the new front office in place with Monty McNair it just seemed like Kings fans just have a breath of fresh air and he was talking about how damn fit he wants to get the best prospects available i'm sure kings fans would have loved to have a gm with that philosophy two years ago specifically and we all know what happened on that draft night um <laughs> but the change in philosophy getting young players trying to offload not older players but players in their late 20s don't necessarily fit the timeline of their star deer and fox it seems like they're committed now to tearing this thing down, but in the process of tearing it down, building around their best player. And Halliburton was a good start. I like that they also got Ramsey 
in the uh, second round, and there was another wing they got in the second round. I'm gonna Robert well, Robert Woodward. Yeah, he's, Robert, uh, he's Robert, really talented. Robert Woodward. It just seems like they there is a philosophy behind this draft for the first time in forever. Not Marvin Bagley can play the small forward position type of philosophy, and Kings fans just got to feel really good about it. I like their draft, and I like the Halliburton pick a lot. Yeah, I, I do really enjoy the Halliburton pick. The thing that I will say is it's a little different. So for me, it's it's a thing where with something like the Pelicans, I love what the Pelicans did too, right? Drafting Kira Lewis Jr., I think putting him, Lonzo, uh, and Zion together, Traffic. building, and just trying to run, right, and be as fast as possible. And I think that's that's the idea where it is. it is very much... Uh, building around your star by accentuating and and getting better at what they do best, right? Yeah. And building around what they do best. Whereas the Kings' philosophy looks like it is building around what De'Aaron Fox needs around him, and to balance things out rather than going all in on like the speed factor, which I, I think is interesting because yeah. yeah. I see I see this as like the John Wall Bradley Beal pairing because Wall like Wall is well Darren Fox or Darren Fox is a lot like how John Wall was like a young not injured John Wall was if you can remember back that far. When he like was they a just really good player. Yeah, they just run and they they're the fastest player on the court. They get it and go and they're great at dishing on the run. And they're the most dangerous players on the break. But then you pair them with a guard that likes to that can slow things down, can play in the half court, has a lot, a little more scoring and overall offensive skill, uh, rather than the pure athleticism. Mm -hmm. And so I like that idea, but I don't. I'm curious how. Like when Beal was drafted, Wall was already kind of he was hitting his. Yeah. Right, he 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 was already hitting kind of his like peak, a, the peak of his power. It was like his third year. Uh, yeah, Cornwall, yeah. So I think De'Aaron Fox is a lot less of that now. He's still developing, and so I'm curious. Like John Wall was set in his ways of wanting to run and wanting to push the pace. Like you weren't going to break him of that at that point. He had yeah. seen too much success doing it anyway. But I think with De'Aaron Fox, you have an opportunity now to see these two players grow together and develop together. Where there's no true, obviously, De'Aaron Fox is going to be the the alpha dog and the leader. But I think that there's an opportunity for them to grow together and to sort of have a symbiotic relationship rather than a what seems like in Washington a uh, like a, a butting of heads of sorts of philosophies. I could see some similarities. I actually, as you were saying it, I was thinking, well, maybe this is the chance for them to actually find their identity because right. De'Aaron De'Aaron Fox, uh, his first two years rookie year. He was coming off the bench. He wasn't getting play. Or George Hill was in the start. Was the starting point guard there for a bit, and De'Aaron Fox kind of, kind of had to get the spot via when George Hill got traded, and the vets had to start going. And then in the second year, Dave Yeager was basically like, "We're gonna go all in on speed," and they were one of the fastest paced teams in the NBA. They won 39 games in the 2018-19 season. Very fun to watch. Very fun to watch. It was Sacramento was buzzing. Like I could tell you just from being here, like the pace was fun. It was fun basketball. De'Aaron Fox in the open court was electrifying. He improved as a passer and as a three-point shooter. So it just made him that much more dynamic. 
And then this year, Luke Walton, while I can appreciate his mindset as a defensive-minded coach, I'm sure you you can attest to this <laughs> more because you've watched him more on a daily basis and followed the news minutiae and quotes and what Walton said daily. I have to say, after this year, I'm out on Luke Walton as a coach. Like, and you know, yeah. I've I've uh, inter I've interacted in press conference settings with him and stuff, and he seems like a good guy, means well, and wants to, you know, bring you know joy back to Sacramento, but. His offenses were are always terrible. There is, there was a weird kind of friction in the locker room this past season, especially with you know Buddy Heald coming off the bench and not liking his role, starting Bogdan. The earlier in the year they were losing close games and winning some. They were winning close games and then losing some close games, and they kind of found their stride in late January, early February, but it was just inconsistent play. And a lot of it, I think, had to do with the fact that the Kings were one of the lower-paced teams in the NBA while having arguably the fastest point guard in the NBA. And Luke Walton intentionally tried to slow things down so for the sake of playing more defense. And I and if I'm a fan wanting to bring out the best in my young stars, which I think is the best for developing a young player, fuck that speed the pace up and I think Halliburton he provides a little bit of mix of both I think he can run the floor and play in a high-paced offense but he's also somebody like we talked about in episode one when we were talking about our favorite prospects Halliburton is somebody in the half court who could grease the wheels a little bit offensively he could be a he's a glue he's a glue guy he's definitely a glue guy and De'Aaron Fox is a really good off-ball cutter um he his three-point percentage took a dip this year, but he was taking tougher shots, and also they were not up and down in transition a lot. They were ma- they were more so in the half court. So I think Halliburton helps them in that way, getting wings around him. I think this is good for Marvin Bagley too, because most of the centers are out, like Coast, like uh, Alex Lynn. Um, unfortunately, Harry Giles is gone, which I thought was a dumb move for at at the time when the Kings didn't pick up their qualifying offer. But now there's a lot less of a log jam at the big position. So now Marvin Bagley can play next to Fox more easier in a high pace system. Rashawn Holmes, who is has a special place in my heart, um has turned into a turned into a really good center for them this past year. There's a lot to look up at Sacramento. There is a real the problem is, and Sam Amick of the Athletic reported this, is that He's already kind of had to fight back some urges from the owner's son who has been more involved, who had gotten himself more involved in basketball operations. And you know how that can get messy. And part of the reason Monty McNair took the job was he was going to get full autonomy uh, doing his job, let him do his thing. And there's kind of already leaks about how that's he's already kind of had to push that back. Um, So I'm worried about that. But Kings fans should be happy. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think this is the best draft that we've seen in a long time. To speak on the Luke Walton thing, I think the issue that I have with Walton, obviously we know him as a player. He's an incredibly intelligent player. He obviously knows the game. I think the issue with Walton is he doesn't always command the respect that you would think he should for a, for a coach. I don't think I, I from what I've seen, players don't really respond to him in that in that kind of way. Uh, and I think that he has a lot of difficulty explaining concepts where mm-hmm. like, okay. So 
I was a Luke Walton guy when he was here, and then he kind of, I I was okay with him leaving. And the thing that I always loved about him was the focus on defense and the focus on like, yeah, we're gonna do this, and it, like he always seemed to have a plan. But they're always kind of vague. They're always like, yeah, we're going to run the floor. We're going to, you know, get out there, defensive rebound, box out, ball, you know, all that kind of coach speak. Yeah, the coach jargon. Right. And then uh, Frank Vogel comes in. And I, again, I don't know if it's a difference between Vogel being good. If it says Vogel, Vogel is good and Luke Holton is bad, I don't know if that's the comparison I'm making here. But like when you ask Vogel, hey, what is the game plan for tonight? Vogel has actual concepts of like, oh, we're going to switch the man on this port and this is something that we made a mistake on. Like, it's detailed. Mm-hmm. It's not just like these vague oversights of like, yeah, we we need to like lock in. We need to, you know, all this kind of general hullabaloo. I think it's it's more detailed. And I never got that detail-oriented focus from a Luke Walton. And I think when you're a coach at this level, the attention to detail is probably the most important thing. Yeah, and... um I think Luke Walton also kind of got one. I think he's running on two things is when he coached 35 games of that 73 and nine Warriors team, when Steve Kerr was out with, uh, with that, the back injury. Yeah. With the back injury. And then also it was the first year with the Lakers. I believe it was 2017, 18 was when he got hired. Um, Luke Walton, I th- he he had the Lakers defensive rating, I think, 15th at that point. And the fact that the Lakers had a bunch of kids on that team and how hard it is to get young players kids to, to, play to get play defense, I think people were impressed by that as well. So it was kind of like he was running on that. And now I'm looking at it and I'm like, there's no way in hell Sacramento should be 19th in pace or should have finished 19th in Teenth and uh, pace this past year. Yeah. Not with Deer and Fox. And especially last year when – the Kings were top three. They were third in pace. Um, I hope they could get back to that. A with almost bit. the same lineup. With Yeah, with the same players minus, you know, Rashawn Holmes and a few other bad contracts they signed trying to capitalize on that play on the almost playoff run the year before. This is a good opportunity for the Kings. Uh, another good opportunity for a team that might have overpaid for a free agent. I like the Hornets draft also I just because – of LaMelo Ball. Uh, right. We talked about him. I think he has very high upside. I love, I love, I love Vernon Carey, too. I yeah, think Vernon, Vernon Carey, Carey from is like Duke. I haven't really watched too much of him, but I know he was he was a highly recruited uh, high school prospect, right? I've yeah. Heard, I've heard his name uh, before, but just having LaMelo Ball alone, one, brings excitement to Charlotte. Um, two, sounded like Michael Jordan really wanted this kid. Um, I think he looks at... You know how Melo always gets the bad rap for being cocky and appearing cocky and being a terrible interview? I think he's just a stoic kid. I could also tell you as someone who is stoic most of the time myself, um, <laughs> you can't really glean off somebody if they're not too peppy or too upbeat about doing interviews, especially a 19-year-old kid. But there's something in there that MJ obviously likes. He's going to have the keys from day one. Um, it just depends on who's going to go to the bench, Terry Rozier or Devontae Graham. But – you screw Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. No offense. Mello is the franchise. Mello ball. Give him the keys. Let him make his mistakes. And he has players around him now that actually would help can him. Can teach him and help. Can, yeah. can help develop him, not just off the court, but on the court. Gordon Hayward, yes, it's an overpay. I still think there's a good player in there still. 
And that type of that version of Gordon Hayward will absolutely help LaMelo Ball. I think having guys like Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges as kind of like your athletic 3-4 hybrid kind of um, started coming around. It started, it made a jump a little bit as a three-point shooter, but still athletic and just a really good talent. Then you have P.J. Washington, who could honestly play some stretch five with how he shoots the ball and how big he is. The Hornets have some pieces around there and lineups they could put together that I, I'm really intrigued by and that I'm going to watch on League Pass this year. Yeah, they're they're going to be one of my League Pass teams. I think the concern – not the concern. I think the thing that I love – They're like going to have said, concern. They're an eighth seed I team. mean, <laughs> the, thing that, the thing that I love about the, giving LaMelo the keys is like – he's going to decide his fate. Yeah. And ter- and so the thing is with, is with that swing? is like the ball kids, regardless of what you want to say about the ball kids, if you think Lonzo's a bust or whatever, I know you, you and I both love Lonzo, but that's the thing of they love basketball and they're passionate about basketball and they all work extremely hard. Yeah. That's what we talked about all in the first episode. Like I ignore the histrionics of LeVar. Like, yeah. If you watch their content and like if you're able to pick out what you're looking for, these kids are dedicated to the game, like you were saying. And so like I have no doubt that he's gonna go in there and try to learn as fast as possible and as much as possible and pick up on things and like they're just smart kids. The thing that I will say is like I brought this up to someone earlier and it is uh it can go like one of two ways and it's kind of it's so to me, it goes back to the thing of like, y- you could easily be Stefan Marbury where the early success and the early kind of like keys to the car can make you a little overconfident. Mm-hmm. If like, right, like that could be a problem later down the line, if that's a thing, or he could end up some something like a, he, I could see, so have, are you watching the, Gilbert Arena's podcast. I haven't caught an episode yet. I need to. So he has this great talk about Jeremy Lin, and it's something that I've felt about Jeremy Lin for a very long time. That Jeremy Lin is better than he shows on the basketball court. And it comes down purely to his attitude and his mentality as a player, where he never fully exerts himself and becomes the player that he's supposed to be. And and so the the example he brings is like, he is a big shot taker. He is someone that is confident with the ball in his hands, wants to lead, wants to take the big shot. isn't afraid to take the big shot, like all that kind of stuff. And he's a very confident player, but he never got that opportunity early in his career. He finally gets it with the Knicks. He's rolling. He's doing great. And then, Carmelo comes back and they kind of bump heads because Carmelo's obviously the alpha dog, right? Yep. So they they bump heads and then it kind of kills all that momentum and confidence that Jeremy to had. Keep building, right? The and then and then as soon as that happens, then he's just a role player and he's just a guy that's not comfortable and doesn't get to play basketball the way he wants to play basketball. Because then he goes from there to Houston where he has James Harden. Then he goes from there to the Lakers where he has Kobe, and so. Mm-hmm. And then he just went can, from there to the Hornets where he had Kimba Walker. Um, right. So he just but, never has like that freedom to do anything. 
Yeah. So I I, I could see Although that. Lynn was kind of decent for the Hornets. Let me just say. <laughs> no, I, I I think a lot of people shit on Jeremy Lynn for no reason. I think he's a solid basketball player, and I think he's great. Yep. I had to great guy I to have to, in your locker room. I had to come around on Jeremy Lynn because I remember when Lynn Sanity was first happening, and um. Uh, our mutual friend, you'll know who I'm talking about. He's listening to this podcast was talking about how Jeremy Lin is going to be a superstar and how he's <laughs> better than he would rather have him take the last shot than mellow. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Hold up. Hold up. Now it was his first year watching basketball. So I gave him Pat, but I was like, hold up. And, um, uh, so I always thought he was kind of overrated because people would treat him like a star, but in retrospect, I was a dumb 19-year-old. I didn't appreciate Linsanity as – or a dumb 21-year-old. I didn't appreciate Linsanity as much as I should have because, one, it was an incredible one, run, and, two, he turned himself into a really good player. And and the um, thing is, like, he could always do it. Like, I went to the Summer League game. It's the famous Summer League game where he what, he toasted John Wall. Do you remember that? Uh, No, I don't remember that. So, Summer League – it was John Wall's first Summer League game. And I went with my dad because we were in Vegas at the time. And I was like, I want to see John Wall. Like, because I, I, I was a big John Wall guy. So I yeah, was like, I, I want to see John Wall. Wall. So uh, we're like, all right, cool. We'll go to the Summer League. So we go to the Summer League and they have Jeremy Lin there. And obviously I know being an Asian kid that plays basketball, I've known Jeremy Lin since he was at Harvard. I know who yeah, he is. You, you, and so, you've had your eye on him. So I was like, I was like, oh, Jeremy Lin's here too. Cool. We're going to see Jeremy Lin and John Wall. And Jeremy Lin torched john wall <laughs> like torched him and you could tell that he was taking it way more seriously than john wall was but he had a dunk on him he went off on john wall and it was awesome and i i, I walked out of that that i walked out of uh, unlv the the this gym was, i walked this out of there was when jeremy lynn was this was this before he joined the or was he he got he was, he, on the warriors he got, right yeah, he, no, this is before he got the contract. He was in yeah. a summer he was in summer league for the Mavericks. Oh, okay, okay. And so I walked out of that I think it was one of my first tweets too cuz I tweeted and I just made a Twitter account around them. And I tweeted like why hasn't a team signed Jeremy Lin yet? <laughs> like and it, it was a genuine thing cuz it was a thing of like I don't understand. And it, obviously it comes a lot of it People admit it later, like a lot of it comes down to like the Asian stereotype. Yeah, it, like, it came. The, it was a racial thing. Yeah, so like you know, I understand it from that perspective, and I understand like why you're, why as a as an NBA rep, you're like uh, wary, right? I, I get the I get the bias, and I get it, but like he was so, he was talented, and like I don't feel like he's ever been able to fully show that. The only time he was was with that depleted Knicks team, and he did great. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like. Getting back to the point, I was saying, I think that now giving giving Lamella the keys to the car, who there goes Greg, uh, giving giving him the keys to the car is sort of a interesting topic and an interesting point. Yeah, uh, just because like he can develop in any way he wants to. My only concern is like now when you get. A, Jordan, a Gordon Hayward that you're paying $30 million on. Like, obviously Gordon isn't that kind of player. He isn't like a braggadocious kind of player, but like, is there a chip on his shoulder to want to prove himself and prove he's worth that contract? Does yeah. he want to come out and show like, I'm still an all-star. I, I can still play. I can still do all this stuff. And does it what LaMelo can do? 
So like that's the only concern that I have bringing that up. Yeah, for yeah, for sure. Um, there's definitely an element of Hayward has the big contract now. I was shocked actually that he got that contract. Well, not shocked at the team who gave him that contract. I was just like, wow, there was a team that actually wanted to pay Gordon Hayward that amount. <laughs> like, like. Well, it, remember he did, he did, he did, uh, he did. There. Charlotte was the one team that wanted to give him that huge contract. Yeah, when he left the the Jazz the first yeah, time. Yeah, that. Yep. So, yep. Yep. You're you're absolutely you know. right about that. Um, but I think even with Hayward there, kind of like as a secondary ball handler, I really don't think Devonte Graham is a shot creator at, from a playmaking standpoint. I think he's, he's a slasher a, to me. He's a slasher and a shot maker. He's a really good three point shooter, especially from deep. So that'll help. Um. I think as long as the Hornets, to me, the Hornets have their two, um, they have their two playmakers, right? They have Ball and they have Hayward. Uh, You could, uh, who knows what's going to happen with Rozier. (laughs) I still am kind of irrationally holding on to Malik Monk stock as well. Um, I think I, I just, we need to get him out of there. But maybe with a playmaker like Ball, you can bring some of that value out of Monk as well. I just think teams should always have multiple playmakers and ball handlers, and I think the Hornets are at a good start at least, even if they overpaid Hayward. And yes, they're probably going to be fighting with the Hawks and the Wizards and a few of the other bottom feeders in the Eastern Conference for the eighth seed because that's really... That's like the one seed where... Because the East used to be, oh, two teams could sneak into the seventh and eighth seed with really bad records. That's not the case anymore. Like, really, it's the eighth seed that's up for grabs if you look at the standings and who are the who the East powerhouses are. And if you think about the Magic, the Wizards, the Hornets, like those are already three teams right there that are and the Hawks. The Cavaliers have also talked about fighting for that eighth seed. There's only like five teams in one spot. It. The Hornets, I think, put themselves in a good position to finally achieve their long-vaunted dream of signing contracts to keep that AC. <laughs> so here's here's my thing. Yes, you want to win. Yes, they spend a lot of money. There is a temptation, though, that you have this season be just a LaMelo experiment year and you go after Cade Cunningham. Because Cade Cunningham with LaMelo is really dangerous. Well, see, that's what we would do, but we're not Michael <laughs> Jordan, a homicidal competitive maniac who probably is like fuck tanking now. <laughs> like we've lost a bunch like, last year. <laughs> but like could you imagine Kate Cunningham with LaMelo Ball? So, why don't you uh, rap about Kate Cunningham a little bit for people who don't know who he is and people who like myself just over the last few weeks are starting to get into the weeds of high school prospects especially after seeing Holmgren and uh Amani Bates go one-on-one why don't you talk about Kate a little bit uh yeah so Kate Cunningham's a, he's a he's a two guard can play a little lead guard can handle the ball but he's mainly a two guard he's 6'6 six, six, with 220 I think uh he's gonna go to OSU this upcoming year um but he is he uh he's fast he's good athleticism he is a Really good feel for the game. Really great passer, um, playmaker. A lot. I see a lot of like more. Think more athletic. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, bigger, stronger. Mm-hmm. Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, 
has the defensive capabilities, can switch uh, one through three. Uh, good feet. He's still working on the shooting, but I mean, what kid at that age isn't working on the shooting? Right. Uh, but yeah, like he just has all of the tools that you would want in terms of like a slasher playmaker kind of big, big two guard. And that's exactly why me and you would be tanking for, for Kate Cunningham for Kate, because the, the name of the game right now is big and skill size and skill. And they have a big playmaker in Lamella ball. And then they have Cade Cunningham who's six, six and could also do a little bit of everything and not yes. Okay. What a bunch of prospects need to work on their shooting. Um, right. But yeah. you have the outline there of a formula that has been proven and, and works in the NBA. So I, I get what the Hornets are doing. Um, I wouldn't do it. I don't like it personally. Um, I, although yeah, I think Hayward is a good player, but I, I would have just, I probably would have just rolled with the young kids. But you know, getting hate Gordon Hayward is not a bad thing. The contract is a problem, <laughs> but yeah. the player itself, I, mean, I think, is fine. No, I think he's great. I think he's great as a leader and as a locker room guy. And and when he's healthy, I think he's a solid contributor. It's just a thing of can he stay healthy with everything that's gone on in his lower body in the last three years? Yeah, definitely the most snake bitten free agency, a free agent that we could remember. Um, speaking of, you know, free agency competence and just know how <laughs> our teams. Yeah, I'm. We can't. I'm. We amazed. can't. We can't go this long in the podcast without talking about our teams and since unfortunately you guys are the defending champs we i want to go there first because um what the fuck the lakers got better the lakers got way better like like it's it's not even a it's not even a thing of like oh they improved in certain areas they they, they got they way better way better like first they get dennis schroeder who we talked about last week a little bit but Dennis Schroeder, I think, is a huge upgrade over Rondo. I think Schroeder also provides versatility to play in a bunch of bench lineups and supercharge bench units like he was doing in OKC. Now, especially, you guys got Montrez Harrell, who you signed from across the hall, which is hilarious. And also hilarious that Harrell thought that he was going to get you, that this team was going to have good chemistry, unlike where he previously was. Kind of took a shot at the Clippers there. Although there have been a lot of reports about chemistry issues with the Clippers. But then you guys get Marc Gasol and Wes Matthews. Bring back KCP. You guys have had you guys I I have Bring to say Marquise Markeith you, Morris. You guys brought back Markeith Morris too on the minimum while the Clippers signed his brother Marcus to a sixty four million dollar fucking contract. I was laughing because um, they uh, they share a bank account. They have like a family bank account. Yeah, yep, they so started like... that in Phoenix. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, Marcus is probably like, "Hey, um, let me get another bank. Real, let me go to another bank real quick and start a second account." <laughs> but I, I have to say, man, Palinka he pulled it off. The Lakers are way better than they were. It's and they have it's insane. And they the thing is, like, I've always talked about how Pau Gasol was the perfect center, the perfect big for Kobe. Right, mm -hmm. the the intelligence, the defensive capabilities, the the playmaking. Um, yeah, obviously, Powell wasn't the shooter that Mark is, but like, you know, just the the ability down low, all, everything that Kobe needed in a in a center, 
or in a big pow had right mm-hmm. mark is kind of the same thing for lebron in the way that mark is a fantastic three-point shooter he spreads the floor but you don't lose any rim protection at all even where, at, even at his age yeah which is insane when you think about like lebron hasn't played with a player like mark that is like the perfect match ad of course is is a unicorn that can do everything but you when you talk about like kevin love or bosh they weren't the rim protectors that mark is and you know and, he's always and they're getting, not he's and like, they're not the shooters that mark is either yeah and uh it worked it works because like you said he's especially over the last few years when he's been encouraged to shoot he's been a 36 percent three-point shooter since he really started taking threes that uh final or the second to last season in Memphis in 2016-17. But he's a 38.5 three-point shooter last year. Still old. He's long in the tooth, but he knows where to be. He's a stalwart post defender. So, And I could tell you from being in a series with the Raptors how much Marcus All gave maybe the best post player in the NBA fits in Joel Embiid. Um, yeah. He's really savvy, knows how to – He he's not he, – obviously he's – He's plotting. He's not fast laterally, but he knows positioning. He's but you a, can all he, a, you can also put him. You can into put him next that, to Anthony Davis and LeBron pretty easily you, in a lineup. You can put him. You can put him in that Jokic role where you just give it to him in the center and, post yep. and just let him play, let him, which exactly. is which is something that the Lakers haven't had didn't have last year. Like you, they tried to do it with JaVale and Dwight a little bit, and they could pass a little bit, but they, it's nowhere near what Mark, Mark is able and to do. Montrezl Harrell is an absolute not just an upgrade, but like a clear skyrocket upgrade over Dwight and JaVale, like the skills, the skill sets they bring. I can't wait to see Schroeder and Harrell run, run bench units out of the gym because I think it's going to be very similar to what Lou will and Montrez did with the Clippers. Although Schroeder is a better playmaker and can get to the rim with more athleticism. So that pick and roll is going to be net. The, the Lakers just, they made out like bandits. Wes Matthews, I think at this point, well, not, maybe not the better defender than Danny Green, definitely a more consistent player the last season than what Danny Green was. Although I get the finals experience and all that with Danny Green, just it, it blows my mind that the Lakers with LeBron and Anthony Davis were somehow able to tinker their roster to get better. Right. I I think it's it's so interesting to because so my main concern was the Montrez Herald defensive stuff. That's the main reason why I didn't want him. Mm. Uh, but I mean, for the we got him for a bargain price, so I really can't complain. But the the idea that okay, cool, we're going to take a step back defensively. But I think and and I've seen a couple people bring this up on Twitter. Is I think that the Clippers put him in bad defensive situations. I don't think playing the true five is necessarily his strongest suit. And I think with putting him next to someone like AD and Marcus all who are brilliant defensive bigs, I think can mitigate some of Montrez's issues and make it so that he's not, it's not easy to hunt him. Right. right? Cause he's not going to be the only big on the floor. And if he is the only big on the floor, it wouldn't be in key defensive situations. I also think the bubble, the bubble uh, performance from Montrez was you could he 
had family stuff going on. He was going in and out of the bubble. And I think the Clippers did leave him out to dry defensively a lot. So I think he's a he's a better defender than what he showed in that playoffs. And I'm also kind of worried about – I have no problem thinking that AD and Marcus All can fit together. Uh, I wonder how Harrell and an a- Anthony Davis big-oriented lineup would fit together because that would mean AD would have to space the floor, and I don't want him to do that. I want him to – be everywhere and but Montrez would be in the same spots that AD I mean might. I could see I could see it the same way it would that it worked with JaVale and Dwight where they just put him oh, in yeah, the dunker it'll, spot it'll, it'll let, work for sure just let AD do the the baseline fadeaway yeah turnaround that he likes to do a million times again. oh yeah it, it it'll work I just I I just like seeing AD at the five like we saw it with the Lakers in the finals it was like yeah right, just cut and the, I think that, just cut the bullshit think, and start Anthony Davis at the five instead of Dwight. I think this is I think that's something that's that people kind of overblown where when AD says he doesn't want to play the five it's not that he doesn't want to play the five he doesn't want to play the five All during the, the regular season where he's going to get beat up and be tired by the end in terms of playoff time yeah he played a lot of five and he yeah. was fine playing a lot of five it's the only issue is like he doesn't want to play five against the Charlotte Hornets or he's going to get beat up down low. Like he just doesn't yeah. want that, that beating on his body over the course of the year, which I totally get and understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, yeah, I, and, I, and, I think that, I think that that's a little overblown that he doesn't want to play the five. Yeah. And also, um, I don't like, like I was saying earlier, I think Schroeder Harrell lineups when LeBron or Anthony Davis, if Vogel decides sometimes, Hey, there's going to be nights where LeBron and Anthony Davis are off the floor at the same time. You don't really have to worry as much because you got a Schroeder Harrell supercharged lineup. Maybe Mark, you put in Marcus all too. And the Lakers have more versatility and wing versatility now, um, especially with the addition of Matthews and bringing back KCP. It's just, LeBron, the Lakers are the favorites. Favorites once again, and uh, Laker haters I, I, like honestly, myself. More. Like, honestly, they should be even more favorites this year. Than, oh yeah, yeah. No, everyone counted them out last year. Their their bench unit is absolutely insane this year. Yeah, they got better, and I think some of the teams in the West got worse. And powerhouses in the West still that have yet to break it up, break it, break up their duos have gotten worse. Warriors got worse. The Lakers have to be the odd. The only contenders are probably in that could knock off the Lakers. I see. If I were to do a early snapshot, way way too damn early power rankings, the Lakers would be one, and I'd probably put some Eastern Conference teams second and third before I go to the West. Yeah, um, absolutely. So let's go to my team because I have to tell you, I just. It was the first time since the 2017 draft where we traded up for Markel Fultz, and I was ecstatic. Yeah. Uh, like the week before that we traded up for the number one pick, I did a huge profile on hashtag basketball.com about Fultz, what I liked about his game, wrote 2,000 words on it. I was ecstatic. That's the core for the future, Embiid, Fultz, Simmons. And then, of course, we all know what happened. And then the off seasons after that, it was just quick moves, trades that are like death by a thousand paper cuts. And we ended up basically screwed with this roster that we ended the 2019-2020 season with. Then in comes Daryl Morey. The Sixers fall ass backwards into an elite coaching staff, <laughs> and one of the best executives ever. 
It was all backwards. They got the coach first, then hired the top of the basketball operations. But the end result was what we wanted. Daryl Morey's first day on draft night immediately changes everything. Goodbye, Al Horford. Honestly, he got off Al Horford at a price that I did not think was possible. Even though I no think, one thought it was possible. Even though I think Horford is still a good player and was also a victim of the Sixers roster construction, he looked washed at times last year. And I thought, well, not at times, all, like half the time. And I thought we were going to have to give up at least two firsts to get off of him. The fact that we gave up a 20-25 protected first-round pick and the 34th pick in this past draft for and Al Horford to get back Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson, who are players who theoretically fit our two best players. And then you trade Josh Richardson, who I thought was a trade, a sneaky trade candidate nobody outside of Sixers land was talking about. You knock it out of the park by sending Josh Richardson another second-round pick, the 36th pick in the draft, um, to Dallas – who need that type of player around Luka Doncic. And then they send back Seth Curry and his three-year, $24 million contract. So not only did Daryl Morey shed Al Horford's contract, got us under the apron, and I'm not going to go into the financials of cap space and the nitty-gritty of it, but gave us more options with our exceptions now, now that we're you know, lowering our tax bill, got Horford off, you got shooters around Simmons and Embiid, and then you draft Tyrell Maxey, who unexpectedly fell. And maybe you, me and you, we could go into Maxey a little bit <clears throat> um, after, after I'm done here. But to get Maxey to draft Isaiah Joe, take a chance on somebody like Paul Reed, who I just became an expert on Paul Reed just over the weekend, and Isaiah <laughs> Joe, to take chances Isaiah on those Joe guys. Is, Isaiah is Joe a, could shoot I, the hell out of the ball. Yeah. Like, say what you will about his percentage last year. I think he took 10 threes a game because he had to, and that's not indicative of the shooter he is. At least I know he could shoot. Paul Reed is interesting. He reminds me when I've watched film on him over the weekend, it kind of reminds me of Rondé Hollis Jefferson, just a weird player that could just do stuff and is a bull in a China shop type of mentality. Can't really shoot. Um, but is always around the ball, really hard-nosed defensively. Maury had a clear mindset, and he said as much. When you put shooting around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, lineups are dominant. They destroy teams. And Maury has made, I think, made the It's on paper. Understand they haven't played a game, but I am telling you, watching the slog of a regular season I watched last year and how badly the players fit around Embiid and Simmons. I could tell you right now that people are going to be sleeping on this team just from last year, and I get it, rightfully so, but I'm telling you right now, because they have better players, not necessarily more talented, but better fitting players around their two best players, to me, this is a mid to high 50 wins team. Just, or I guess it's a 72 game season now, but on pace to be a 55 57 win team just with the moves Maury made alone and I understand there's more to go but he wanted shooting ball handling and scoring off the dribble which is something Maxi could possibly do in year one hopefully and they didn't take plotting power forwards you know they got Dwight I'm not a huge fan of that signing but we needed a backup center but 
I loved what Maury did. I, that's my long way of saying I love what Maury did. No, absolutely. I think that the interesting thing when you talk about what the Sixers did is like he just completely undid everything the last like two years. You guys are pretty much in the same spot you were when you were when ever like the when the hype train started around Ben and and Bede with the shooting and everything else with considerably this, less assets now. Right, like all 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 you all, all he did was like turn the clock back and was like, let's get back to let's get back to that. What do you think Elton Brand's like first thought was when Maury just walked in and was like, okay, literally everything is wrong with this. <laughs> I think I think he. <laughs> You know, it's like the it's like the old joke of like the tech support agent of like, all right, get up out of the chair and let me let me do it. I'm taking <laughs> I'm taking over your screen and let me uh. It's like that young that young thug gutter gunna meme where young yeah. thug's like looking at the computer. <laughs> yeah, so like you know, he's just looking. He's like, all right, let me take over your computer. Let me uh let me show you how to do this. And then he trades he trades Al Horford and and Ellen Brand's like, whoa, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but we just gave you... we just gave him that contract. <laughs> Wait, you're allowed to trade players like this? How? How? <laughs> like, how? What? <laughs> and and I don't know about you, but with the lineups Maury was referencing when he was talking about surrounding shooting with Simmons and Embiid, we talked about it a little bit, I think, in episode two. But the Sarich, Reddick, Covington, Simmons, and Embiid lineups were destroying teams. They had a plus nineteen and a half net rating their offensive rating was off the charts while still being good defensively. I think a green Curry Simmons Harris and bead lineup has way more upside shooting upside, especially, but a little bit more offensive upside because I think Seth Curry can create a little bit. I think Tobias Harris with doc rivers, doc rivers had him running a lot of pick and roll going downhill not to make plays necessarily but to get tobias a really efficient score into his spots right and so on a team that didn't run much pick and roll last year i think tobias harris was also hamstrung i think with this move it moves tobias back to the four it's where he can maybe recoup like 60 percent of the value of that con massive contract he signed and I think it has way more shooting potential. And when you have Simmons and Embiid in space, they dominate. But the thing is, they haven't had – Redick was gravity shifting in his movement. But Curry is one of, like, the five best shooters on the planet. And he could shoot from deep. And he just has a different type of gravitational pull than Redick does. Both elite, both some of the greatest shooters ever. But Curry just adds a little bit more. When you have that name on the back – you know. Yeah, you know, when you have that name on the back, you have special powers to shoot the basketball. And Danny Green can shoot. Not These guys not only can shoot, it's tight contested shot three-point sh attempts. Um, they have quick triggers. More, even, even more than the shooting. And like this is what we were talking about when I was talking about the getting rid of uh, Danny Green for the Lakers. It's the idea of the reputational gravity. Mm-hmm. Where well, the it doesn't matter the willingness to shoot, right? Like even well, no, if, not even that. It's just it's the idea of like, hey, if even if if Lonzo Ball and Danny Green are both shooting the same percentage, teams are gonna let Lonzo shoot. Yep. But then they won't let Danny Green shoot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's the reputation of the player. Yeah, definitely. It's the reputation. Like, it doesn't, it yeah. doesn't matter if Danny Green is hitting these shots or not. And that's kind of what I was trying to explain to Laker fans of like, dude, it doesn't matter if Danny Green makes any of these shots. Look at how aggressively they close out. And then when they close out like that, it's just a quick skip pass inside to yeah. LeBron or 
like you know the, it creates so much space and that's the Just type having- of shooting that Simmons and Embiid haven't had in a long time like just reputational gravitational shooters but not only that quick triggers like their only role is to chuck not their only role but their willingness to chuck threes Richardson did not want to chuck threes he would rather dribble in and take a bullshit 17 footer it would always make me mad um Harris for some reason (laughs) after shooting 40 percent with the Clippers from three I guess when you come to Philadelphia, rule is you forget how to shoot. So he shot like 35%. If Harris could get back to that a little bit from maybe different shot locations now that he's at the four, I'm telling you, man, I, I'm i ecstatic. It's great to have a GM again where I don't have to worry about the moves anymore. Like, I didn't have to worry about it with Hinky. When Colangelo came on, I was like, oh, God, here we go. And I ended up being right in the end. And Elton Brand... I don't have to go over that whole weird thing of how he got hired. I was worried about that. Now I could just relax and just watch my team. Because even if I disagree with some moves Maury makes down the road, like I did with Hinky, at least I know there's a thought process behind it. Right. No, I totally I totally see where you're coming from. So, um, I'm, I'm uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I said I'm excited to see what, what, they, what you guys are able to do. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I am too. Uh from one Eastern Conference team to another, what the hell are the are the Detroit Pistons doing? They're I, like like I told you before, they're taking a book from the Knicks. They uh they took they're like they saw the Knicks signing all these forwards and they're like they're they're like man, those are big dudes. I like it. I fucks with this. Let's do that. <laughs> oh, I thought you were you saying you. I thought you were saying you fucks with this. You're saying that's what no, the Pistons. I was like, the, wait, Pistons, what? The Pistons are like we we fucks with this. Let's let's do more of that. And then uh, they're like. You know what Blake Griffin needs? More big bodies around him. <laughs> that's the that's the crazy thing. I loved their draft. They got <laughs> I loved their the like Killian Hayes falls to them. I was like there's no point guard there that could challenge Killian Hayes. He has the op, like LaMelo Ball, he has the chance to make mistakes and all that stuff. And then they start bringing in guys like well classic sixer Jaleel Okafor. They brought in Mason Plumley, Jeremy Grant. Um, and they already, you know, drafted Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart, and they already have Blake Griffin. Like, what the? What? What are they? Are they gonna like, go? These aren't, these aren't small contracts either. These are like big deals. <laughs> no, Jeremy Grant. The Nuggets offered counter or matched Jeremy Grant's offer from the Pistons, but Grant went to he the chose, Pistons because yeah, he, he chose to go to the Pistons because I. As, it sounded like they're offering him more of a role, which I'm all about Jeremy Grant. I'm all about getting your money and getting the role you feel like you deserve. Go get go go get that. From the Pistons perspective, I don't fucking get it. Because no. like if you're asking Jeremy Grant to be more of a scorer and a creator, that's just not his game. Like I'm happy he worked his way up to get to this point, but from a Pistons perspective, the allocation of money they have spent on bigs in this free agency i'm so confused like it's it's like the court going back to the sacramento kings in the uh, 2018 19 season or the 27 before that season started the kings decided it was good to you know buddy healed bogdan bogdanovich they traded for harrison barnes midway they added a bunch of 28 year olds 27 people that were considerably older than the franchise cornerstone they drafted right 
And so there was this tug and pull between should the young guys play, veterans want to win now, et cetera, et cetera. I, if I was the Pistons or like the Hornets earlier, just let the young guys play. Like Sadiq Bey, I think, is a really good prospect. Isaiah Stewart is another intriguing prospect, another intriguing big. Killian Hayes, to me, has the potential to be up in that Wiseman ball class, right? Right. Like, why? Why? Are they big ball? Like, <laughs> like I don't get it. I don't know. I don't, I don't see how this works. I don't understand it at and then all. They, they traded Tony Bradley to the Sixers for Zaire Smith, and then they cut Zaire Smith, which, by the way, if I was like the Knicks or somebody, I would take a flyer on Zaire Smith. I still believe in that kid. He almost died his rookie year. So that set him back, but I still think he's a really good prospect. Somebody should take a flyer on him. But like, why would the Pistons cut Zaire Smith? Like, I'm I don't know. I again, all, none of these moves make sense. I can't justify any single one of these, and it's so weird to me. I don't I don't see. Yeah, I just don't see it, and I don't know what the Pistons are doing. And like again, I think I think they are the worst situation in the NBA. Like, if I was a GM and they're like, you could have any job you want, I would be like, I immediately don't want the Pistons job. <laughs> yeah, like, they're, I think okay, they're in, I'm looking at job. the teams. I'm looking at the teams right now. They're definitely in the running. Like, I would say the Knicks, too, but. But the know. Knicks are in New York. They're and they in have New York. <laughs> RJ Barrett. We base me and you basically have the mentality of every free agent ever. Hey, it's New York, so. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, they can't be worse than. You got to live in Detroit. <laughs> you gotta live in Detroit. Your team is garbage. Your salary cash terrible. You got no picks. Like, you have you have on? five thousand bigs. <laughs> yeah, the hell's going on? So like, I can't wait to see a Jaleel Okafor, Blake Griffin back or front court. That's gonna oh be my fun. God. <laughs> like I don't. That's when Blake. That's when Blake starts playing the the point forward role and starts just trying to. <laughs> And then you're taking the ball out of Killian Hayes' hands. He'll try yeah, to yeah. attack a closeout, and there's just three defenders in he's the like, game. He's like, he's like, Killian, go, go spot up for three. I'll be, I'm a dribble, I'm a dribble this out. Uh, <laughs> so on, on another, on the other side, I love what the Hawks are doing, and not, I'm, I'm iffy on that. I'd like to, so, I'd be curious to hear why. I love, I love the Rondo signing. I love giving Trey Young someone to bounce ideas off of, and like someone like a, like a mentor kind of thing. Yes, I love yeah. that. Uh, I love the idea of Bogdan, of Bogdan and uh, and Gallinari as like just spot up wings that can that can facilitate around Trey. I love I love Okongwu. I think he's a great defender. I think him combined with uh, John Collins can be some great uh, rim protection and sort of just dive threat. Okongwu can shoot the three also, so I think like just giving more space for Trey Young to operate. And then I also love for Bogdan and Gallinari to have them as sort of players that can still play, but guys that can mentor and kind of help develop Cam Reddish because mm -hmm. he he does have a similar game to what they do in terms of like Gallinari as a as, less so as a shooter, but like more as a slasher and sort of this kind of versatile three level score that I think Cam Reddish still can be. I think that they they all give him that sort of if if they're again you still they're, think all, they Cam all seem, can be that guy. I think he has potential to be at least being a Gallinari type of player where he's not perfect and he has 
problems and issues, but I think he can be, he's not going to be Kevin Durant or Brandon Inger, but I don't think he's that, but I think he is the, I think he can score and, and be, become a three, a decent three level scorer in this league. Okay. Like, I think, he, I think he could probably consistently average 15 to 18 points a game. And like, if he really reaches potential, which is okay, solid. I, 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 I'd agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I just, it, as a franchise guy or whatever, I just, I wasn't, I wasn't bullish I, on Reddish really anyway, but I could see again, I, I don't see him as a franchise guy. I, I see him as a fantastic, most definitely like, as a fantastic Robin to Trey Young's Batman. Yeah, um, I could see maybe third option ceiling type thing, but I've, I, w- I, I went back and forth on the Hawks because on the one hand, I like the young talent they all have. I like that they, you know, they drafted DeAndre Hunter last year. Kevin Herter was hurt uh, last year, so he didn't really take that leap. Um, but I just wonder, you mentioned John Collins. I think he's now expendable. I think he's going to get traded, actually. I also think um, it's either one of DeAndre Hunter or Ke- or Kevin Herter. I think one is, of them's gone. One of them's going to be gone, too, because you don't sign Danilo Gallinari for, four year, or for three years, $20 million a year, without one starting him. And I think his best position at this point in his career is power forward which would be John Collins spot but then wait you can't move John Collins to center because you have Clint Capella who is a really good player and brings more value I think to the court than John Collins does even though he's basically has the ceiling of a 2010 guy he's not really a good defender yet Uh, he's okay at rim protecting but I think this move really made John Collins expendable and I love the Chris Dunn signing. That's another player I'm irrationally high on. Um, <laughs> he's a monster defender. Only people like us will watch like seven minute defensive highlights of Chris Dunn oh, yeah. when the season's <laughs> over and stuff. Like he's a monster defensively. Not a good, not a particularly good offensive player. But you need as many wing defenders and guard defenders around Trey Young as possible because he's literally bottom two or bottom when it comes to defensive players (laughs) uh he is just small and gets picked on and on top of that he's just technique wise and everything else that you where you would say oh if you put in more effort you'd be a little bit more effective he's bad at that too but an incredible nova star offensive player right you you get you get okongwu which was a really good which was a really good pick um probably the best defender in the draft um so that's another – it seems like the Hawks are trying to move this thing forward a little bit too fast. Maybe it's just me always liking teams that kind of go grassroots and develop their players slowly. But I guess if Herter – if you feel like Herter or John Collins is expendable, then I guess, you know, you make your moves accordingly because I honestly don't see how this is going to work. Veter- like we were talking about earlier, veter- veterans want to win, young players want to play and develop, and if Gallinari's here, you're not bringing him off the bench. So it's like kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I think I think their best lineup, honestly, is to have Trey Young, Bogdan at the two, uh, Oh, yeah, we didn't even th- talk about Bogdanovich. Yeah, that, that's why I think Herter. That's the main reason why I think Herter is expendable. Is because if they're bringing in Bogdanovich, yeah. I would much Unless rather we- have Bogey than Herter. Yeah, 
I mean, I it, I think it depends if you if you bring in who you're bringing off the bench if it's Herder or uh, forget we just mentioned his name. I can't remember Hunter. Right, like it, uh, you could play one at the three if you want it. You could play one at the two, one at the three. Mm. Um, but like I think it's 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 Trey Young, it's Bogdan, it's Cam Reddish, it's Gallinari, and then it's Capella, and then you bring Onyeka, the the first man off the bench, mm. and then if when you do that, you shift Cam from you put Cam on the bench, you shift now Danilo to the three, and you put Onyeka at the four. I think those are like your lineups. Yep. And then and maybe to, Bruno Fernando takes a step in his development because I know they were high on him too um, yeah. when they drafted him last thought, year. I, I think he has some glaring weaknesses, but I think like it, again, it depends on development. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think I think I think he's solid. I think this lineup solid. I think they can compete in in the in the East for the eighth seed. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the 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 joke that I made yesterday, I was like half joking. Was that the Lakers bench would be the fifth seed in the East? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think about it, it. It's it's it'd be well. It'd be, I don't see that uh, the East isn't that weak anymore because the Nets were the seventh seed last year and they didn't have Katie and Kyrie. So because uh, like I was just looking it over because I was like I was like it's Schroeder, Caruso, Kuz, uh, Markeith Morris, and. Montrose Harrell is like your starting five. It's incredible that we mentioned all these players on the Lakers and we didn't mention Kuzma. Again, I think Kuz <laughs> is like odd man out. I think he gets traded both of the seasons over. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that because you're not you're damn sure not going to extend you're him. You're not gonna give him the money that he wants. He wants something like fifteen, eighteen million, and he's Hell not gonna get that. No. But you know what? It but hey, like if he if he could get his money, get his money. But if I Hell no. Yeah, the, if I'm the Lakers, there's no way I'm giving him that money because he's not worth it. And it's again, I'm Laker fans, casual Laker fans, please understand. There's more to the game than scoring the basketball. And he's not even that good <laughs> at scoring either. No, like, he is not. Just because they, he'll have the occasional quarter where he goes crazy in Staples Center before the pandemic hit, or just go nuts or whatever. Like, oh my God, Summer League Kuzma's here. He's not that he's good not of a that. player. No, just he not. got better. He got a lot better defensively under Vogel and watching AD yeah, and LeBron. Yeah, to his credit, and in the playoffs, he had some really key games where the, yeah. if he doesn't perform well, the Lakers don't win. So I don't want to disparage but, Kuzma too much. No, but I will say there, I still don't trust him to bring up the ball. Nope. And to dribble at all. Shoot off the dribble. I think there was a there's a point I was watching. I can't remember what game. I think it was game two or three of the Nuggets series. And I don't know if you're watching this, but it was the thing of... And I, I, I looked at my, I was watching with my dad and I looked at my dad and I realized I was like, oh my God. And he goes, what? And I was like, Kuzma thinks he's Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> yeah, he was, he took that matchup personally. Every yeah. time Porter would hit a three, Kuzma would try to go right back at him. Down and, and try to hit the three. And then the thing was that, so it was. He saw the Spider-Man was, meme in his head. He was like, wait, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And then it was a thing of, so there was a play where they come down and Michael Porter Jr. is running down and like uh in the corner take like gets the ball spots from the corner pump Kuzma flies up and Michael Porter Jr. just goes in and dunks boom easy mm-hmm. right yep then Kuzma comes down tries to go one on one with Michael Porter Jr. does his turn around turn around jumper misses they come back down boom same play corner 
pump. Kuzma goes straight up again. I was like, dude, he's just doing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> like, I understand. Even you, even the announcers were calling it out. They're like, Chris Weber was like, see, Kuzma can't take this matchup personally. And it's one of the few things I ever agree with Chris Weber on in the when he does basketball broadcasting. But I was like, dude, this guy is really trying to take it to Michael Porter Jr. in a playoff game right now. <laughs> He thinks he's Michael Porter Jr. And I was like, oh my God. I, I you completely have the epiphany. Get, I completely get why he's terrible. Because <laughs> I again I think there's a point to Kuz where Kuz is solid if he understands what, what if, he if Kuz, is. If Kuzma was like twenty seven and comfortable in his skin and knew who he was and knew what his game was, played his role. Boom. That would be Kuz, a play, that would be a player Laker fans casual laker fans would actually be right about like that's yeah. the type of player that's they're describing dude. right now <laughs> but kuzma's not that um he tries too much he does too much he he does too much he can't do uh, no please i'm good okay uh real quickly because we have not talked about it yet what the hell happened in milwaukee so to me i put a lot of this on for the listeners who don't, sorry to touch you up before we get into it for the listeners. <laughs> so the Bucks, right at literally right after we were done recording last week's episode, it was like Wait, an hour nuts. after. It, it free everything went to shit. So or shit hit the fan, I should say more aptly. The Bucks traded a bajillion first rounders for Drew Holiday, and that was the first domino that fell. Everybody was freaking out. Like too many draft picks for Drew Holiday. Blah blah blah. Everybody got their takes off. And then about 30 minutes to an hour later, news comes out that the Bucks and the Kings agreed to a sign-and-trade deal that would have sent Bogdan Bogdanovich to the Bucks in exchange for Dante DiVincenzo, Ersan Ilyasova, and DJ Wilson. No picks or anything go, going to the Kings. But Which then, would have been a steal. It, it would have been a steal. I fucked with that lineup heavy, that projected lineup. I would, yeah. Holiday, Bogdan, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. That is, I would have put them right back in the finals. But That's a dirty line. But the problem was the player at the centerpiece of this deal did not agree to anything. Or maybe they did and the league caught on with the tampering because the Bucks are now being investigated for tampering. But the deal basically fell through. And now Bogdan is... He agreed to an offer sheet with the Hawks. Kings have a chance to match. If they don't, Bogdan is a Hawk. If the Kings do match, Bogdan is back in Sacramento, but he is not a Milwaukee Buck. What the hell happened? <laughs> so from what I've been able to put together and talking to different people, uh, apparently they just, either the Bucks, uh, the Kings assumed that he was going to resign, or the Kings assumed that he was just going to like they were just going to resign him, no big deal, and didn't actually confirm with Bogdan that he was going to be like that he was going to sign or that he was okay with it. They never talked to him about it, wow. so I think the assumption was like, oh yeah, he's going to resign and then we'll trade him. Cool, he doesn't have a say. Because obviously after he signs, like they don't have a say, he doesn't have a say where he's going. Mm. And so I think the assumption was just like, yeah, he wants all this money, so we're just gonna we're gonna go ahead and do that. And I was like, well, I'm not, I'm so confused. Uh, I I was I'm so confused. And and the thing is, and I think we talked about it right afterward too. That is the most Kings thing ever. 
Yeah. And it was, it was, it, it's tough for me because I don't want to do the Kangs, K A N G Z meme yet with, with this new front office. I think they hired smart people and I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. But it was definitely shades of it was definitely the king's past ghosts were being are still being exercised and they kind of lashed out before they got sent back to the shadow realm (laughs) before they left uh this planet and so it came in the form of this fiasco um honestly if the bogdan deal happened and he went to the bucks i would not have given one shit about the first round picks that the Bucks gave up for Drew Holiday. Because no, it, right? it all makes sense. And then really it and in and in a way it still doesn't matter because if Giannis signs the extension before the December uh signs for the extension before uh the December twenty first deadline, then I still think to a degree none of it doesn't really matter because they got a perennial tier one franchise player who's an MVP candidate signing back with them. But man, have you seen the 20, this crazy? The, the 2027 draft is so far away. <laughs> like, yeah. shit, a lot of shit could happen in seven years. Stuff already happened in this year alone. <laughs> like, just the let if there's a lesson to be taken from this year, a lot could happen in one year. So, seven years down the road, I think the Bucks might have given, or they did give up a lot for Drew Holiday. Let me just say that. And I think Ryan Rossillo brought up a good point about this. Because just because of the way free agency is done now and stuff, you don't want to show your hand and all that. So teams kind of have to make decisions scared. Why not just tell the Bucks, I'm going to resign. What's it going to take to make the roster better? Just tell me before I make any decision. And that way the Bucks don't have to throw a bunch of picks on the poker table and be like, here, take it. You know, like Drew Holiday's a top 30 player. Um, I think he's one of the, he's probably the best guard defender in the NBA, although he is getting older now. He's 30 complete upgrade over George Hill and Eric Bledsoe combined, I think. And even though I still think the Bucks actually rebounded nicely so far in free agency, and I actually think they're a little bit better than last year. Um, at least they have players that make more sense around this team. They still gave up a lot of picks for Drew Holiday. Yeah. And the Bogdan thing kind of just deflated everything about it. And I know Bucks fans are going to be all like, well, these picks won't matter down the road. They're late round picks, 2027 20, so far away. You don't want to – a lot could happen in seven years, and you don't want to be in the 2027 20, draft not having a high pick because some crazy stuff happened within those seven years, you know? Yeah. I mean, have you heard this crazy rumor that's come out in the past? Like, I don't even know if it's a rumor or people just talking about it or what. Have you ta- have you heard about this this Laker plan? Oh, I saw that uh, where Anthony Davis, right? He's allegedly, yeah. this is a rumor, this is all rumors, but he's tracking whether Giannis signs the extension or not. And if Giannis does sign the extension, AD will probably sign. I don't know if he'll still sign a one-on-one or the five-year, but basically if Giannis doesn't sign the extension this year, AD could do a one-on-one opt-out after this season and then have LeBron recruit Giannis. Yeah. And then with the – the, with the empty space, the Lakers can sign Giannis and then re-sign and then AD. They can, re, they can go Perfect. into the cap and re-sign AD yeah. because they'll have his bird rights. Yeah. 
So it just, <laughs> it's just a way to cheat the system and get Giannis on the team. But with I know AD. Lakers Twitter had a field day with that tweet before I took a nap today. I saw that yeah, tweet before was, I uh, before I went, went to bed. It's been kind of going nuts, and it makes a ton of sense. Um, would, yeah, I mean, it does make sense. It sounds like LeBron's all about playing 5D chess, so... They did the same thing with the Kawhi stuff when Kawhi, like last or two years ago with Kawhi. Yeah, signed. they were waiting on Kawhi. So yeah, like that was, this is getting a third person in LA has always kind of been the plan or like something that they've looked at. So, you know. That would be insane. Rob Polinka, who understandably got heat for not understanding some mechanisms of cap space. I when he that was so overblown. <laughs> It was overblown, but you have to admit it was funny. And he also didn't know some mechanisms of cap space as an NBA executive. It, it is funny, but it is funny. But he has turned it around, and is—I mean, one—he built a roster that won the fucking championship. So he's so he's already a really good executive. But the moves he made, he 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 has learned. You could tell he's learned. Like this was like a. Yeah heat check not a heat check but like this was him catching fire this offseason and if the Lakers end up getting Giannis after all of this after LeBron only going to LeBron only going to the Lakers to film Space Jam and oh I guess LeBron can only win one title with a Lonzo Ball and a bunch of kids right or Rob Polinka doesn't know anything Magic Johnson just up and left and not told anybody And they're still sitting here with the championship, and they got better, and Laker fans are about to be 10 times more insufferable. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing, so the thing to look at here, too, and, and, you know, hey, you can say whatever, whatever you're going to (laughs) say. There is a world where after next year, they do get Lonzo Ball back. Oh, that would be funny. He goes back to LA because he's he's literally the perfect point guard for everything that they want to do. Yeah, like like and if, also Lonzo Ball and he. I think I hope to God his three point shot stays consistent into next year, and I hope that bubble was an admiration because I really think he made strides last year. That is so the I. perfect guy to put next to LeBron. And they, LeBron loves Lonzo. Yeah. Because he's a smart player and he plays the game, quote unquote, the right way. Like they traded, they definitely kept the wrong young player out of well, B.I. and Lonzo. I think Dave, Dave Griffin is also a he's smart, extremely intelligent person. Yeah. That he, he also was, does not want Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. He was, yeah. He was also like, look, you could keep Kuzma over there. <laughs> like, don't even yeah. bring him to the discussion. But damn, man. Like, just imagine. If the Lakers... Also, Lonzo Ball is a clutch sports client. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I said Lonzo Ball is also a clutch sports client. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that there's that happening. dynamic too. So, um, <laughs> just don't touch Ben Simmons. Leave him alone. It's fine. You can have him. Yes. we'll take everyone else though. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it it's just overall, I think I this free agency. A lot happened, but a lot also didn't happen. There were definitely moves. Teams a lot. I think a lot of teams just made moves on the fringes. Um, You know, tweaks here and there. Add a little ball handling here. Add a little movement, shooting off movement here. But there was really nothing big. I guess we're all waiting for the big domino now to drop about Harden and whether he's going to get traded or not. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. The Rockets are making some moves. Have you have you looked at yeah, what they've done? 
yeah, they got yeah they I know they signed a Christian Wood uh to a three year deal. By the way, another guy Hinky uh <laughs> Hinky uh signed or Hinky found off the scrap heap. By the way, um. I know they made a few other moves. I'm pulling up their uh, spot track right now. Yeah, so they have they have uh, they signed Sterling Brown, which is someone that I really Sterling, like. yeah, Sterling Brown, uh, another second rounder that was traded from the Sixers that I got mad about. <laughs> when they... Yeah, uh, they signed Boogie Cousins, which I think is a great get as like a flyer of like let's see what he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, I'm so happy that he got an opportunity. I will always to play be a Demarcus Cousins fan. Always. I was hoping he would sign with the Lakers, obviously, because I think that he had a, he had a bond with this team. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, I just want him to get a chance somewhere. It's just living here in Sacramento. It's still incredible the love he gets here. Um, there's obviously there's older people I know here who are of that old school, like oh, Demarcus has an attitude. He doesn't play the right way, and all that. All that's all the usual bullshit people try to do to disparage him. But he's. Yeah. He's a good dude. It, um, he cares a lot about the communities he's in, and he's a he, when healthy, he's a fun player. He's not the same player anymore, but I, I'm really no, happy. No, for, I'm really happy Boogie banger. isn't out of the league. Yeah, I think he's great. I think he's a good person, and he's a good person for the league. And I think like yeah. having having him around and like everything he's been through, I think there's an opportunity for him somewhere. But yeah, I love the Sterling Brown signing. I love the 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 Demarcus Cousins signing. And like these are signings that are, to me, tell like me they're keeping Harden. Well, it's either it works both ways, right? Because they're not expensive contracts, and they're things that are like cool. This can hold us over if we get rid of these guys, or yeah. they can be really good pieces if we keep them. Yeah, they could, yeah they could be used as contracts in a trade, obviously too. Um, they got Ariza back. <laughs> they funny they got Trevor Ariza back in Houston for the fiftieth time in his career. Um, yep. <laughs> real quickly Dude, before, Trevor, oh, sorry he had five times the past like week yeah i know what he's been to portland to okc to houston <laughs> it's it's wild also real quickly before we go robert covington process sixer now got traded for two first round picks and is a player that portland needed christian wood once again, as we mentioned, three years, $41 million. Jeremy Grant, three years, $60 million. Sterling Brown was a second-round pick drafted by the Sixers, and they immediately trade him to the Bucks, even though they had no guards at the time. They thought it was a good idea to trade Brown. I'm just – it's a, it's incredible – well, Brown isn't a former hinky guy, but it just – it goes to show you – I bring this up because I hate it when teams don't – use all their assets like teams like the bulls or the sixers they'll sell their second round picks and i'm like why take a swing like especially if you have a high 30s pick take a swing take a swing at undrafted guys that have that have out that are outliers in something like covington had an outlier wingspan and shot a lot of threes and then turned into a great two-way wing um we could debate how good much value he actually is but that's a wing portland needs christian wood turns into a basically a two-way center um can stretch the floor can rim protect a little bit now made himself a 41 million dollar man jeremy grant has become one of the better defenders in the league and shot 36 percent from three this past season there's value to be had everywhere and i just hate it when teams don't explore it i guess right i told i totally get where you're coming from 
before we go, I do want to bring up one thing I forgot to bring up during when we were talking about the draft. Okay. Can I just say, coming in, and I think we talked about it in the first episode, that I love Alex Okoro, or Isaac Okoro. Oh, for the Cavs? I, I love him as a player. I think he got drafted to the worst possible situation for him. Okay. Uh, w- w- why do you say that? <clears throat> so he is a slashing wing and a, and a top-tier defender. So he goes to a team that has no defenders and no no defense whatsoever. So he's going to have to guard and shoulder the entire defensive load, and he's going to be put on a lot of pressure to like lock down the top guy. So he's going to be cooked every 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 game pretty much. Then he wants to get to the basket and slash, which they have they have Andre Drummond and Kevin Love down there. Yeah. So you, you're gonna when you when you try to do that, you're just going to run into a a forest of people down there. And then you have two guards that like to play ISO and have very low assist playmaking numbers. Yes. So who's going to get you the ball? It's an interesting mishmash of players. Um, they also did make some trades. Like <clears throat> they also did make some trades. Uh, getting Javale McGee, um, getting Damian Dotson, I actually think is a good move because I liked him on the Knicks. He was just not playing as much because they had 10 power forwards they had to give minutes to, but I don't know. I think the Cavs need to start somewhere, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the locked on Cavs discord. My, my friend, Evan Damarell is the co-host of, it seems like Cavs fans are happy about the, uh, the, uh, Okoro pick. Um, dude is chiseled as a player. As a player. Dude is chiseled, and I think you can get a lot out. You can mold him into a really unique player. Um, but I have to think some moves are coming down the road. It sounds like Andre Drummond is going to be gone at some point. Maybe Kevin Love, but I think every year Kevin Love talks. We talk about Kevin Love getting traded. He just stays there. I think Andre Drummond is on the move, but I think that is a decent spot for him to develop because I think. I'm I'm higher on I higher on Colin Sexton than you are, even though I wasn't really high on him coming out of college. I think he really made strides as a player that I didn't think he was cap that I didn't think he was capable of making. Garland, the Garland Sexton backcourt, there might not be a lot of playmaking there, but I don't I, know what that backcourt is. That backcourt's so weird to it's me. It's so weird. It's so weird, and you know, um, it sounds like maybe Sexton has the will have to be the six man at some point or something they're gonna have to do something about that backcourt but I do think the Cavs are starting to try they're trying to find their way in terms of figuring out what this team's gonna be seems like JB Bickerstaff wants to go all in on defense I like Kevin Porter Jr. now he had some off the court stuff but I love Kevin Porter Jr.'s scoring potential shout out lefty gang um but lefty gang lefty he's a lefty lefty gang yep um i just but yeah it's i I get what you're saying it's not the best situation for a coro but i do think he can develop there like they needed a defensive linchpin and i think you start with a player with or a coro's physical features to like start like that process if you take a look at the picks around that area right you look at like the Bulls. To me, the Bulls are the perfect fit for Isaac Okoro, right? I love the fit with him with Marketin 
and with Wesley with with the uh, window Carter. Well, Wendell Carter and um like Colby uh, Colby White and Zach Levine. I think like that's a fun roster. They can get out and run. They can space the floor. They can play solid defense. Like there's there's space and and there's a there's a fit there. I can see the fit there. But the Cavs, it seems so awkward, and I don't know where he's like. I don't know if you're Isaac Okoro on the offensive end of the floor. Where do you stand? Yeah, that's like, that's that's good. That's the question, right? Um, where is like where? I don't know where you stand. Like, do you stand in a corner? Like, that's not your game. Like, do you try to drive to the basket and and clog up the paint with with? Andre Drummond, like I don't know if that's the play either. Like I don't know where he goes. I, it's so weird to me. I yeah. think like yeah. I think even with even if he goes if he, if he falls down like nine with the Wizards or goes to the Suns or even like maybe the Knicks even like just something that doesn't have this log like the the mix there is so weird. Well, yeah. Um... It's yeah, it's interesting. Um, but I think the Cavs needed to start somewhere. On uh, no, I get it. I get. Yeah. I the Cavs are a great player. I just I for for Isaac Okoro, I just see a situation where he's going to get lost, or he has a potential yeah. to get lost. And I'm also not that high on JB Bickerstaff as a coach. No, um, neither am I. I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting. I. I, I hope I hope uh, the situation. Looking at their guards, oh, it feels so bad. Looking at their guards, they have Colin Sexton, they have Darius Garland, obviously. Then they have Dante Exum, Jordan Clarkson, yeah. Brandon Knight. Well, no, Jordan Matt. Clarkson is on the Jazz. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Jazz. Or he went back to the Jazz. Yeah, uh, he just signed a yeah. nice deal with the Jazz too. Yeah, uh, like you look at Del Delvadova is the only like real. Delvadova's back. CD Osman is also he's an o he's an okay young player, but he's probably he's one of the Cavs better playmakers. But that's not he's a four, he's a four. He doesn't he's have, not he's really, not gonna have not really if he's he's one of your best playmakers. Like there, the lack of playmaking is concerning on here. Um, Kevin Love does make up for some of that a little bit when he's playing. Um, but I don't I know. Can, I just so, I like. I like their talent, but their talent is also weird fitting. Like I'm still yeah. not yeah. out on Darius Garland. I think Colin Sexton is a gonna be a good player. I love Kevin Porter Jr. I think him and Isaac Okoro are actually kind of a nice theoretical backcourt. Um, but yeah, again, like I don't like hate. Oh any yeah, of these I, players. I I get what you're saying. Like the situation's not the best. Like I'm not. I the situation's not the best, but. Um, I do think they got a really good they got a really good player. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I I feel I I remember just sitting watching that happen and going like, damn, I feel so bad for him. I feel so bad for how awkward this first year is going to be for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I think um should we uh should we uh wrap it up? Should we wrap it up there? Do you have any more free agency oh, thoughts I, passing? There's anything you want to bring up, but otherwise, I'm pretty good. We've a we've a lot to be excited about, and there's oh, still a lot to be excited about. Still a lot of free agents left that are like pretty there's still good. That I'm, I'm fringe, sure. yeah, fringe like free agents that are fr- fringe free agents that are still to be had. That I would, I know Daryl Morey 
just going back to the Sixers real quick, I know he said that this team is set. I would like to see him go after some more. So I would like to see him like go after maybe like an Emmanuel Moutier or something like that to shore up depth. But at that point, we're just getting too much into the weeds that might not be worth podcasting for. But I'm excited. Maurice, Maurice has been speaking to my heart. I'm content. And um, training camp's next week. It's exciting. Very exciting. All right. So, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us. If you guys have any comments, suggestions, things like that, shoot us an email, follow us on Twitter. Like and all review. That yeah, all that jazz. And uh, thanks for thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The B.O. Beat.